0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week is Ellie Smith, who is not only the reigning Australian National DH champion, but had something of a breakout season doing her first bunch of racing in Europe, much of the Crankwork series, and a whole lot more. And so we sat down to chat with Ellie about everything that kinda came together and really clicked for her in 2022, some of the stuff that she learned along the way that maybe didn't work as well on that first go-round, and what she's got in store for 2023. We also chat about her preferences in bike setup, the mental approach required to race Enduro, DH, and more at the top level, and her alternate career as a welder working for mars food on food preparation equipment of all things so there's a lot in here it's a very interesting conversation ellie's got a lot of cool stuff to say and it's a lot of fun but before we get into it i do want to take a moment to encourage you if you're a skier or a snowboarder to check out our upcoming blister summit from february 12th to 16th in our home of crested butte colorado It's the world's only consumer-focused group ski test demo event in the world, and it's going to be a lot of fun both getting to try out a whole lot of the upcoming new gear for next year and a lot of existing stuff from a list of brands that is frankly way too long for me to list off right here. You'll get to meet a whole bunch of the blister team including myself ski with professional skiers and product designers from a whole bunch of great companies and participate in some panel sessions where we talk about gear design being a professional athlete and a whole lot more fun stuff it's going to be a blast i'm very excited and i hope to see you all there so with that let's get right to my conversation with ellie smith Ellie, great to have you on, and thanks for taking the time to chat. How are you today, and where are you today?
1: Yeah, thanks heaps. i stoked to be here. Um, I'm well, thanks. I'm at home at the moment. I live at uh, Jillaby on the central coast New South Wales, Australia. Been home for like two months now after our big Europe adventure this year. So yeah, it's been good having a bit of time home again after that.
0: Yeah, glad to hear it. And we will get into that big European adventure in a moment here but I guess by way of a little bit of an introduction for folks who might not know you for one you're the reigning Australian DH national champ so congrats for that Mm, but you've been doing just kind of a big swath of mountain bike racing in a variety of disciplines and a lot going on that we will chat about shortly here but before all that I guess would just be curious to hear a little bit about your start in mountain biking kind of what you were into prior to that and kind of when you kicked your whole mountain biking journey off.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I started mountain biking when I was 15. Um, I did it for school sport actually at first, like just cross country mountain biking, um, just for not really much reason at all. I just couldn't be bothered to do any of the other sports and thought, Oh, well, I'll give this a crack. Like at the time I was very into dancing. I, I did dancing, uh, for ten years, from the age of four, and was very into that. Um, and yeah, literally fell in love with mountain biking straight away, and just got a bit obsessed with it from the get go. Um, and that's where it all started, I guess. And then it progressed into downhill because I, um, my partner Duke, uh, he actually went to the same school, and that's how I met him. Um, and I still always tell him, "Gosh, I hate pedaling!" Like he's like, "Oh, you should try downhill," and that's sort of where it all started. Haven't looked
0: back since. It's amazing that that was even an option at your school sports program. I mean, just, I guess, a sign of the times changing a little bit. I mean, when I was starting mountain biking myself before you were born, probably, uh, (laughs) that certainly just wouldn't have been a thing. You know, mountain biking hadn't yet hit the sort of critical mass of popularity for that to be on anyone's radar and even have been an option so
1: yeah definitely it's
0: cool to hear that yeah. cropping up and being a thing now
1: i think they actually may not do it now i don't know i think i might have got lucky um with that i've heard i've heard that at least the school that i went to may not do that anymore so i got in at a good time i think <laughs> yeah
0: well yeah. glad that all worked out then um, a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> bit of a shame that it's no longer running but yeah. uh well, yeah, got something to show for it, at least. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, OK, got your start there, got into downhill because you weren't too keen on doing much pedaling, which I think, you know, <laughs> kind of the story for a lot of folks. Yeah. <laughs> but where things go from there and kind of how did you make that next step to really starting to race seriously after just getting on a bike and enjoying it?
1: Yeah, uh, pretty quickly, actually. So. I like did the school sport like end of twenty fourteen, and then did my first uh, downhill race, um, beginning of twenty fifteen, like March or something. It was a, a schools comp- inter schools competition, and um, did pretty well and really enjoyed it. And then from there, I just did like every single local race that I could do. We'd just pack up the caravan and go around like New South Wales doing whatever races we could do. My younger brother was racing a little bit back then too and um yeah so that was the story for a few years just loved it Um, and then it progressed to national level pretty quick too like 2016 i think um and it just kept building from there to then um now doing international stuff so yeah yeah
0: just a couple years from starting the mountain bike full stop to racing national level stuff's quite the rapid rise through it how sort of quickly did it sort of click that racing was really what you wanted to be doing on a bike? I mean, obviously you were into mountain bikes, right? But there are loads of different ways to enjoy riding beyond just racing. And so what sort of brought you down that path and how quickly did it start to click and you'd be like, Oh yeah, this is really what I'm into here.
1: Like from the first race, definitely. Like, um, I just loved, um, sort of i got addicted to wanting to like better myself every time and at first it wasn't about like it definitely wasn't about like trying to beat certain people or whatever or or even about winning necessarily it was about like every time i go back to a certain track i'm like we have a goal like oh, i want to go like this much faster or whatever because at first like especially when you're learning like you make massive improvements like i was like yeah like 30 seconds faster or something a couple a couple months later um, down at Fredbo because that was where my first race was and stuff like that. I just loved like it was just, yeah, I felt the drive to um, to, yeah, to race and do better.
0: And what were those first few races like? You know, you, you turn up, you've not been mountain biking for terribly long at this point. What was it intimidating or just excited to be out there or kind of what did making that dive in feel like? How'd that go?
1: Um, it was just so fun, honestly, from what I can remember. Because um, I did a lot of like dance competitions and stuff when I was younger, and um, I found them, you know, they can be quite nerve wracking, like getting up in front of a lot of people and have to, you know, remember a whole dance routine and stuff like that. And I found racing just, I found that just fun and relaxing, you know, there was, you just go up there and, yeah, get to ride your bike down the hill. So it was just, super fun from memory. I wasn't really intimidated from memory. I mean, it was a while ago now, but I just remember it being so fun.
0: <laughs> Especially kind of at that age, good to have it feel fun and not yet like a super high pressure situation where your yeah, performance is a big deal or anything like that. But then, okay. So yeah, you started racing. You're pretty into it. You're finding the competition fun. At what point did it start to dawn on you that racing internationally was going to be an option and it sort of wasn't necessarily just a hobby, but you could really go somewhere further with it. When did that hit?
1: So, uh, like I won the junior national series when I was like 16, 17. Um, and then did my first like world champs 2017 at Cairns. Cause I qualified for it by being like the junior national champ. Um, so that was like the just a natural step like i qualified for it so i thought awesome i'll do it um and that was a cool experience i was so nervous for that um but it definitely helped in the long run i think for um yeah coping a lot better this year now going back to international stage because i actually took a um took a bit of almost like a break i suppose um for a few years when COVID sort of hit and I was doing my trade, like I did my welding and sheet metal fabrication trade. Um, and towards the end, it got a little hard to balance both. So I decided to sort of, I didn't race too much in sort of 2020, 2021. I also had a little wrist injury that was bothering me. So um, after that, um, I decided this year to race the national champs after not racing it for a year or two. Um just for fun i just wanted to get back on the bike and race and um ended up winning that um so then i was like oh like i might go over to europe like i'm obviously riding good like i think that was actually the moment that i thought let's give it a crack like this year yeah <laughs>
0: wow okay yeah so that's super interesting and just kind of uh a- one foot in front of the other, not necessarily the biggest long-term plan there, but no. <laughs> all certainly panned out. Yeah. And if I have it right, you did that National Champs race on your enduro bike, too. You weren't even on a proper <laughs> GH bike. Yeah. So, I mean, take us through that. Like, you know, you said you sort of just showed up to go race it and sounded like you maybe didn't have the most specific expectations for that race. No, not race. all. But Yeah. So... I mean, was there a moment before your race run where you kind of realized that you were going pretty quick and had a shot at it? Or was it just totally out of left field and a surprise? Or um, how did that all go?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't have a downhill bike. I literally um, messaged Norco Australia like for a few weeks before it because I'd been doing like a lot of enduro sort of riding. Um and hadn't even really focused on downhill for a bit, but I suddenly was, like, like National Chance is coming up, cannonballs coming up, and, like, I was suddenly, like, super keen for downhill again. Um, and I'm, like, do you guys have a downhill bike? And they managed to get the range to me just in time, um, which was, you know, 170 mil travel at the time, so definitely not a downhill bike, but it, was, it did really well. Um, uh, and, yeah, as far as, like, knowing that I had the speed, I, I had no idea. Like, I hadn't raced any... Anyone in like more than a year. So I had no idea sort of where I'd sit in the field. Hence why I just had no expectations. I just went there stoked to see everyone and stoked to be on the bike and like just try to go my fastest. Um, uh, yeah, and then qualifying, I think I got like fourth or something. I was like, oh yeah, like that's not too bad. But I definitely, um, I mean, I was probably trying to get on the podium. Like I would have loved the top three. Um, but, yeah, still until, like, my race run, I wasn't, like, going up to the top thinking, yeah, like, I'm going to win this thing. Like, I was just going up, like, ready to have a good run. A few people were like, oh, you look like you're riding really good and, you know, you're riding pretty well and, oh, I reckon you can win it. But, like, I didn't really, you know, take it in. I was just like, oh, yeah, ha like. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then just got it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and so having a little bit out of the nowhere, won that race, then you were like, oh, well, maybe I should go race in Europe now too? Or how quickly did you make that call from it? Because your national champs are kind of in the Northern Hemisphere spring, right? So yeah. European racing season's coming up pretty quick at that point. Yes. What did that turnaround look like?
1: Um, so... Before I had won nationals, I had actually planned to me and Duke and maybe my brothers uh, were going to travel around Australia this year. Um, I knew I was keen for some travelling and, like, to go see some awesome places. And um, I always thought to myself um, that I probably would wait until I'm doing pretty well on the Australian, like, national scene in elite um, until I go over and do World Cups and stuff like that just to make sure that I was at a good level to go over there. Um, and I guess I didn't expect to do so well so soon because I hadn't actually really done super well in any elite races yet because um, I sort of the first couple years of elite didn't race much. Um, uh, so it was a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, we ended up, oh, it was a few months, like three months or so. We didn't go over till June actually. So what's that, fair March, April, May? Like four months uh, of training before going over. But yeah, I decided fairly quickly, like probably after Oceana's, which was in March up at Queensland, um, decided for sure that I'd go. Once my partner Duke was like, Yeah, I'm keen and he could get the time off work, we um, we then made a plan and and um, specifically picked certain races that I wanted to try. This year was about trial, um, like trying the EWS races, trying some down to World Cups, some crank works to sort of figure out what I enjoy most and maybe what I'm sort of best at. And then um, next year, put a full focus on one of them. So yeah, I think it worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, seems like it's going all right. Uh, and that was actually a perfect segue into kind of what things I wanted to ask next was just that so yeah, you headed over to Europe and like you just said, you did this pretty broad spectrum of bits of racing. You know, except some downhill World Cups and World Champs, some EWS crankworks including pump track and Dual slalom and all that kind of stuff. So, what you said about just wanting to try a bunch of different things and seeing what clicked totally makes sense. But go into a little more detail about kind of how you picked and chose what you wanted to go for and how you put that whole plan together. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I knew I wanted to do like Crankworks Innsbruck. Like Duke, he mainly competes in Crankworks. So, we added that to the calendar straight away. So, that was the first stop. Um and then after that it um well actually I got a wild card. The first thing that happened is I got a wild card entry into the last two EWS rounds because I actually hadn't done any EWS qualifiers because um the ones I kept wanting to go to kept getting cancelled in Australia with COVID. Um so yeah, I kept not being able to qualify and I was super keen to do it. So um after I did pretty well with the Australian races, they they managed to get me a wild card. Um so that was actually, sort of forgot, but that was a big thing that made it click to go to Europe. I was like, oh, I've got that wild card, like, let's do it. And then, um, obviously, there were the only two EWS rounds I could do, and that was in September, but we wanted to go over in June for Crankworks. Um So I uh, decided to, yeah, do some downhill World Cups in between to give that another crack because I'd never done a World Cup. I'd only done World Champs as a junior. Um so, yeah, I thought I'd give that a crack and there was a back-to-back round, Lenzer Hyde, and then straight into Andorra. And that was, like, a month after Innsbruck. So it gave us a bit of time to do a bit of training and travelling around in between. So, yeah, we, I tried to, like, um, I did sort of two of each, like two Downhill World Cups, two EWS rounds, um, and both of those were back-to-back. So, yeah, made travelling easy and um, time to train in between. I, I knew that I didn't, I would get absolutely exhausted if I was trying to do both and like the full season or something like that so yeah
0: and just sort of take us through the season a little bit and how it went I mean having done this assortment of different race disciplines and a bunch of different stuff I mean any standout moments favorite races favorite events anything along those lines just kind of give us the rundown here
1: yeah um uh, it was definitely like an awesome moment when I qualified for the Andorra World Cup um, at Lenza Hyde, which was the weekend before I really, I was struggling um, pretty badly. And I realized, we realized pretty soon after that it was, my bike setup was sort of totally wrong for over there. It was still set up for back home, which is a lot different to Europe. Um, so I was just like sinking into all the holes and like my, I wasn't rebounding quick enough and it was my fault for not, um, yeah, being aware enough on the bike until I sort of looked at videos and realized, um, so I didn't qualify at Lanzahide. I just struggled massively to get up to speed there and like getting used to like having very minimal practice before qualifying. Um, but then yeah, the following weekend, Duke and I quickly made a plan. How can I qualify? What are we changing? And, um, and it worked. So I was stoked. Like we had seven days to like fix my setup and, yeah get me more comfortable to get up to speed quicker on a track and yeah so that was an awesome moment and that was on my 22nd birthday as well so it was pretty sweet that was definitely like a pretty top-notch moment Uh, the EWSs (laughs) could have gone a lot better um I managed to uh crash really bad at at Trans Montana um still managed to finish the race but it was it was tough um uh and then Ludenville the weekend after which I was super excited to like have another crack um i had a really bad mechanical in my um uh pro stage and i was like sitting 19th before like in the first split which i would have been pretty stoked with a top 20 in that um but then uh accidentally smashed my derailleur into a rock <laughs> and um the chain like got fully caught up in like behind the cassette um in my wheel, like ripped out a few spokes and I could not get the thing out for the life of me. I was like, yeah, so the back wheel was just fully stuck and I had to run down the rest of the track. Um, so that was a rough way to start that one. But then I sort of, so I knew like, I couldn't get a a good result. Like, um, like overall result after that, like I was like 10 minutes back or something. Um, but then I was just hoping to like, get some good stage times on the Sunday, um, but unfortunately had a huge E on the second stage. It was so wet. It was like such fun conditions, but pretty hard to race and um, had a huge E and actually smashed my helmet and had to DNF. So then it could have gone a lot better, but um, yeah, with a bit more prep and knowing what to expect, I think, yeah, the future could be better.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, got to start somewhere and yeah, of totally. get it sorted out a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about the, bike setup stuff that you touched on a minute ago i guess well for one kind of what were you feeling in the bike and kind of how did you figure out that something needed to change and what was your process like for figuring out what and what did you end up changing about the setup in order to kind of get things better sorted out
1: I was making it like, so Duke who, um, was essentially my mechanic and um, I was getting a lot of help from Shran, and rock shocks, but he would, um, he would help out as much as he could. And um, I just kept telling him like, something feels wrong. I've still got to get a lot better at um, being able to feel exactly what's going on with my bike, like with my suspension and stuff. Like when I'm riding, I find it hard sometimes to fully describe what's going on. So it's a bit, bit hard for Duke when I'm just like, I'm not sure what's wrong, but I know it doesn't feel good. And then, so he, he'd be up on track and take some videos and stuff and then would watch the suspension and, and, but that wasn't till that was sort of like qualifying day. So it was a bit late to change anything, but the good thing was we could look at it, um, afterwards and yeah, my suspension was just bogging down in every, like every hole, like it, and it was sitting in about 50% of the travel for like most of the time it wouldn't come right back up. Um so I just always felt like I was really over the front. Um, so yeah, I didn't have enough compression and not enough rebound either. So that was the big change that we made. Um, uh, yeah. So that helped heaps at Andorra cause Andorra had like so many like breaking bumps, stuff like that. And, um, like a few like little steep sections at the bottom that that really helped with. Um, yeah, it took not too long to get used to actually, like considering we, we pumped it up like a fair bit harder, um, but it just felt instantly better. <laughs>
0: and you mentioned sort of that your prior setup going into all that was working pretty well for you at home, but yeah, wasn't what you needed in Europe. How would you characterize the difference in the tracks and what you were riding to sort of lead you to need to make those changes?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Back home, the tracks are just like absolutely nowhere near as steep. Uh, and also, I think a factor was I was running the enduro bike back home. Like, I'd only just got the downhill bike set up uh, and had the ZEB forks. And I think it was actually um, a, a fairly stiff setup. Like, I didn't do heaps. Of, I just set it up the recommended settings. Like, I just got the bike and literally just, like, like just did the settings for my weight and what Norco recommended. Um, and, yeah, I think it was a fairly firm setup, and, and that felt good back home. Um, and then, I, yeah, I just think we went a bit soft, um, once I got the full travel 200 mil forks. Um, but yeah, back home, the tracks are just like a lot more peddly, like the ones around um, my home anyway, um, and just nowhere near as steep. So, and not as high speed either. So, fair bit different. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. And just in terms of your riding, not so much bike setup, what was it like adapting to that new style of trail? I mean, had you ridden much like that elsewhere before, or was that a pretty new thing to be diving into
1: it was pretty new um especially a big thing i noticed like you know there's off camber stuff back home and stuff like that and but um i really at lens there was this really long off camber section just with roots everywhere stuff like that you don't really find back home and and that's where um, at first i struggled a little bit to find my flow on stuff like that like um but by the end of the trip, I had sort of figured it out. We went and rode at morzine for a bit in the wet, and that definitely opened my eyes to um, to what you can actually ride down <laughs> um, compared to back home. Um, so, yeah, I got back home and just feel, like, so much more confident on all my local trails here now. Like, there was a little feature that I'd, like, never hit here at, like, home um, on one of my local trails. And I, I literally just rode into it blind the other day and just – hit it because of like how much more confidence I've got after, after Europe and all that riding.
0: Hey, (laughs) you know, sweet to hear that you're progressing and learning some stuff there. Um, And so I guess sort of to come back around to the bike setup a little bit. So you mentioned kind of going up to 200 millimeter dual ground fork, but somewhere in there, you essentially converted your range or a range to a DH bike, full 200 travel, both ends, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of yeah. started. So when did you get that set up in this whole timeline? And uh, what was that adapting like?
1: Um. So uh, as soon as I decided I was going over to Europe, I was like, I need a or bike. Like I was obviously making it work in Australia. Like the tracks aren't as gnarly. So the indoor rig to a certain extent was, definitely working um so yeah i hit up um mick williams um wrp i uh, said i really need a downer bike like do you have anything um and he um sent me out uh one of his links mullet links so i had to i changed uh to a mullet it was originally 29 front and rear which helped heaps like um i buzz my butt on the tire all the time and um yeah just having that small wheel on the back helped a lot and also um, was able to make it 200 mil front and rear with the Marlin in there. So it was sick. <laughs> that was like probably it wasn't too long before I went to Europe, like maybe like May. So didn't have too long to get used to it.
0: Just a cool setup. And I guess sort of between Norco making that bike kind of have the provisions to be adapted and then next hole privateer parts program and getting people set up we've had him on the podcast a few times now and he's a legend about everything yeah nick's awesome um shout out to mick and so then were you through this basically converting that same bike back and forth between dh and enduro modes more or less Or did you have two of them with you at that stage and yeah
1: so i had um for enduro i used the site um, all right. 160 mil travel yeah so I had that already and that's definitely my go to like enduro rig um, yeah so I just kept the range it's now just permanently a downhill bike for now I've still got all the others uh, like my Zebs and everything that I could track back on at some point if, if needed um, which yeah maybe for back home some of the tracks probably would be better with that setup back on it so yeah it'd be cool to, to switch it back around
0: Okay, yeah, that makes a bunch of sense. Something that Mix talked a bunch about with the Trinity bike that he's working on is kind of having this thing that can be adapted back and forth between enduro and downhill modes, particularly with the idea of a privateer racer who's trying to do both and one, keep costs down and two, just have a more familiar feeling bike for both disciplines with having it be at its core of the same bike just with some bit swapped around to suit. But yeah, your, your approach certainly makes a bunch of sense. Yeah. Kind of along those same lines though, I am curious to hear some more about kind of the mental approach that you need to take for racing enduro versus downhill because, you know, they're both gravity mountain biking, but there's quite a bit that's different, including sort of the additional just endurance aspect of enduro. But then I think maybe also possibly more significantly just the differences in between having this, you know, three minute give or take track that you can have every line fully dialed in on racing DH versus enduro where you just have to (laughs) get, you know, going in at least comparatively blind and sort of just sort it out as you go. So how significant do those differences feel? I guess, is there one that suits you better? How did you, approach juggling both kind of all of those things wrapped up into one
1: yeah um so the good thing was like i got the i kept them sort of i focused on the downhill races first and then was able to like fully turn my focus to enduro after that so that was from july onwards although gosh i forgot about world champs how did i forget about that that was in august (laughs) whoops um so yeah after world champs turn the focus to um the ews um and yeah, they are a lot different. Like you're on different bike. Um, and yeah, like you said, very minimal practice. Like, especially if you, like i walked whatever tracks I could, which I sort of stuffed up at the first one. I tried to walk, like we did like, oh, I can't remember, but a lot of walking. Uh, it was a bit silly cause I thought I oh, am yeah, walking. That's going to be fine. Like, you know, it's surely going to be easier than riding. Like, And then the next day, my legs were cooked after walking all the tracks. I'm like, that was stupid. But it did help, like, sort of knowing where I was going a bit more so that I made the most out of my practice. Um, But, yeah, you only get the one practice run. But you can sort of push up a little bit if you're, like, um, struggling with a certain section or want to try a couple different lines. You can push back up. Um, But I just sort of tried to just do full runs straight away because, like, normally for downhill racing you'll you know do a few practice runs but you always try to do a full run before racing just to see what it's going to feel like so you sort of have to do that in a way in your practice run at AWS, or it's handy to at least just to sort of know how fast you're going to come into the section and stuff like that um so yeah that's a lot different um the struggle it was yeah it was different definitely different um uh but yeah I feel like I coped with it all right like I, I knew that it was going to be the case so I did a lot of practice beforehand like um when we're riding um everywhere basically around Europe um just simple things like normally Duke would always ride first I'd always follow him he's like way faster than me but he'd make me go first a lot of the time when we we're in Europe because we knew do I was going to be doing the EWS so we'd be riding the track for the first time he's like all right off you go, and I just like ride it blind, which, yeah, in the past I'd just always be like, No, I'll follow you, like, because it's just the obvious thing to do, right? Um, so yeah, I think stuff like that helped, um, so I was really aware of it, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then the downhill, I mean, you do get more practice, but it's actually not that much practice to be honest, like at the World Cups, um, yeah, I'd probably get like three or four practice runs, um. On the first day of practice, and then maybe one or two before qualifying. So, um, you do have to get pretty, and considering how fast you have to go for downhill racing, like it's not that much time considering you're about to like go completely flat out down the hill. Um, <laughs> but yeah.
0: Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And the note about sort of having to build the skill set of riding blind rather than following someone. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense, but it's just sort of an interesting note that, um, yeah, it's different, you know? Yeah. And so I guess I would be curious to hear a little bit more too just about kind of your mental approach to racing generally and if or whether it varies too much depending on what sort of discipline you're doing. I mean, are you someone who is more kind of trying to keep it loose and lower pressure feeling or are you trying to just be hyper focused and on it how do you go about getting yourself ready for race day and what's your mental prep look like
1: um i definitely try my best to stay as relaxed as i can and as yeah like try not to i mean i definitely am super focused but find a, a healthy balance between the two um be focused enough to like. Get the job done and, and be able to ride down the track super fast. So, not completely carefree, of course, but yeah, I definitely ride a lot better when I'm relaxed and not stressed. Um, so, yeah, I try to keep a pretty chill mindset. Um, uh, yeah, but then when it comes to, and I, with downhill racing, definitely like I just, yeah, try to, the biggest thing for me to, to know that I'm going to feel comfortable and confident for race days. just get my lines sorted as, as quickly as I can and, and get up to speed and then just stay pretty chill after that because there's not much more you can do other than put your focus into that one run and, and get it done sort of thing. And for EWS, um, uh, yeah, definitely probably the, the same thing. Just, um, yeah, it's pretty chill, the EWS, like, as far as, like, everyone's out there together, um, so you don't have much time to like get caught up in the nerves or anything because you're all out there battling together and just trying to get through it sort of thing. So, um, yeah, try to remain as chill as possible.
0: Yeah. That's something that I always had a little bit of a hard time with racing DH is just sort of the amount of downtime you end up having on race day to just yeah. be in your head and kind I used of... to
1: hate that, but I've gotten better it yeah. now.
0: It's a skill for sure, and yeah. not one that I was ever especially good at,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> but it's tough,
1: yeah, yeah, that's why it's good there's the different disciplines right they can that's why I wanted to figure out what what suited me better, um because they are totally different, like mental approaches and just approaches in general, so yeah, yeah,
0: for sure, and so I mean, what did you learn on that front, kind of anything that stands out as far as having been favorite events of the summer favorite tracks least favorites sort of bigger scale thoughts on enduro versus downhill anything along those lines
1: yeah um at the moment at least like i actually which i was surprised i thought it'd be the other way around but um i really enjoyed the downhill now that i've matured and gotten older and can deal with that pressure of um yeah, having to have the time we're sitting around and being able to keep in that good headspace to to be able to put together one really fast race run. I actually really enjoyed that and have found the groove there a bit. Um I mean the EWS wasn't a great reflection of like um because they both sorta of had their I had my issues in them. Um it'd be interesting to do one in the future and um Hopefully it goes well and it might be a different story. But, yeah, at least at the moment, um, definitely the downhill races, I had a better flow. And just because I guess I've done it for longer, I have probably just need to give myself a little bit more time to get into the groove of EWS racing. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely both still on the radar for me, but at least for next year I think I'll keep a main focus on downhill and hopefully still do a round or two of the EWS, um, taking away what I've learned from this year. and. Um, And yeah, see if we can do a little better. But yeah.
0: It's funny when you started that little bit saying that you were kind of caught by surprise by it and things went the other way than you expected them to. I was for sure thinking you were going to say the opposite (laughs) of what you ended up with. It's just kind of funny that you started (laughs) off talking about how you got into downhill by not liking to pedal too much and then almost came full circle on that.
1: Almost, yeah. Because I think um, I got to the point where it was Getting a bit stressful for me when, like, this was when I was, like, 18 or something. Like, I'd been crashing a fair bit and was not learning how to deal with the pressure of it. I couldn't deal with it at that point. Um, hence why I think that little bit of time away to, yeah, to mature a bit and realise that I really do love it and have worked out how to cope with the pressure. Now I can really enjoy it. Like, I, it's, I enjoy it just as much as when I first started now, like, um, which is awesome.
0: That is good. And
1: or more. Yeah. <laughs> upper
0: trajectory is always what you're hoping for. What yeah. kind of have you sorted out as far as coping with pressure? What's worked for you? What have been the techniques there?
1: Um well, the biggest thing and it obviously sounds super obvious, but like is um, actually completely sticking to as much as I can to a sort of a training schedule like getting on the bike every day and being able to into a race like knowing that i've done everything i can to perform well because back in the past like um maybe i i don't know i must have trained as well or as much and would go to a race already feeling sort of a bit defeated like oh i should have trained more or i should have ridden more but whereas you know nowadays i can come into a race and be like well i've done absolutely everything i can do so let's just have fun because i've literally worked my hardest um and whatever the outcome is, is what it is. And then we'll, if you have to go back to the drawing board, you do. And if it goes well, that's awesome too. So it can, it just helps to have a more chill mindset um, approach to it that way. I think that's my biggest takeaway.
0: I think that's a good insight. And, you know, maybe sounds a little obvious, like you said, but also certainly yeah. <laughs> easier said than done. And
1: uh, yeah, it like takes a lot of, a lot of discipline <laughs>
0: for sure. Yeah. So that totally makes sense to me. We've talked a bunch about EWS and downhill world cups here but we haven't really touched on crankworks too much but that was solid part of your 2022 as well. Kind of yeah. how bad all go how did it feel different from those other two series and take us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, crankworks is so awesome it's like probably definitely my favorite event I reckon at this point definitely. Um, we only raced, uh, Innsbruck and Cairns this year just because I wanted to have that focus of doing a few different things, um, and couldn't really afford to go over to Whistler. Um, the flights were like pretty much, it was like another, it would have doubled our flight prices. Like it was just like going from Australia to Europe all over again. So we just couldn't afford it. Um, so yeah, but it was so fun. Um. I dabbled in, I did every discipline just for sort of fun. I definitely need to, if I want to in the future, do all the disciplines, probably ride the hardtail and um, do a bit of slalom in between events because it's a bit hard to feel confident when you haven't, like I hadn't ridden the hardtail in months and went to Cairns and tried to do pump track and thought I'd feel all good, but I was like, oh gosh, what is going on? Like, um, But yeah, the downhill races, so fun. Um, Innsbruck, uh, I was having a really good race run, ended up crashing into a tree. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's on the live feed, but um, I was like, probably looking like a top five there if I had stayed on the bike, maybe. Um, so that that could have been awesome. <laughs> um, and that was so fun that track. Um, pretty keen to go back next year and race that again, and try to stay on the bike. But um, Cairns went really well. Like when we got back from Europe, we literally were back for like a day, unpacked a few things, repacked and then flew up to Cairns straight away, um, and that went really well. I ended up getting fifth um, in the downhill there, and that was really fun. Um, so, yeah, I think the vibes at Crankworks are probably, like everyone's still somewhat serious. Like we're all there to race and do our best, but like it's pretty chill and there's a really great atmosphere and all the athletes just really get along. I mean, it, it's the same at, at all the races, but crankworks is just, like and even a different vibe again that's just so fun um so yeah i'm pretty keen to be doing the full season next year of crankworks so it should be fun
0: okay so i guess that's as good time as any to chat about your 2023 plans and you've already touched a little bit so full season of crankworks and some more downhill world cups maybe a little bit ews but not the main focus kind of yeah
1: at least for next
0: year. yeah right right But are you thinking you're going to try to do the full downhill season too, or what do you have in mind?
1: Uh, so I'll still be a privateer next year. So I've decided at this point, um, just not only financial wise, but it's just like quite like, it's pretty hard as a privateer, like getting through a world cup, like race weekend. Um, Probably looking at maybe only doing a, a few World Cups. I guess I'll see how, how it all pans out because a lot of the World Cup, like the Crankworx season ends in July. So there's still plenty of time to do a fair few races over in Europe. Um, and um, I'm going to look at the schedule, but there's a few in America as well. So I haven't fully decided on the, the calendar for the year other than definitely not doing the full crankworks Tour, really putting the, a focus on that, which should be fun. And then yeah, definitely at least two downhill World Cups and possibly one or two EWS rounds for a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, the crankworks tour I just know as a privateer I can put a lot of um, focus into that, and it's very like doable. Um, be able to travel with Duke because he's focusing on the the full crankworks tour. So it just from a financial point of view as well, you know we can do it together, and it makes it a lot more achievable. So that's the focus for next year at least. Try to well there, and yeah, just keep doing better
0: sure and on that note of just privateer life and making that racing work I mean kind of what has your kind of travel setup been like for the last year racing around Europe and how have you been managing that because we've talked to a lot of people on here just about how much extra work that is supposed to be on a factory team and having your travel logistics and all kinds of stuff handled for you much more. I mean, what was it like figuring out everything you needed to know in order to show up and do a bunch of different races all over Europe? And how did that whole learning curve and all that go?
1: Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was like, I guess a, a little bit of a challenge working it all out. Um, but, Got so many mates that you just ask for help, like what do I do? Like what do you have to do? Like um sort of thing. Um but yeah, we just bought a van, um, and essentially that was our home and our way of getting around Europe. So we did twenty thousand kilometres in it, um, which was awesome and just by far the cheapest option. Like even if like we're hoping to sell it, we actually still have it at the moment over there. But um yeah, even if we couldn't sell it, it was still by far the cheapest option, um, rather than renting anything. So, cause we were there for four months but um, yeah, as far as the races goes, yeah, as a privateer, like I was really, I definitely, I really would have struggled to do it without Duke there. Um, just mechanic wise, and even just helping me mentally and with lines and stuff like that. Cause yeah, it is a lot different to just racing in Australia. Like the level is, like obviously so much higher and the tracks are a lot more demanding. There's bigger features. So all of that, you know, could get quite overwhelming if you don't have the right sort of team around you. And I was lucky enough to have him there. Um, so we got it done, but yeah, it, it's sort of like fun. As long as you just like approach it in a fun way and just acknowledge that like we're a private, we're doing this privateer. like you don't put too much pressure on yourself. Um, Yeah. And it keeps it fun and you just sort of work through the challenges together. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I can imagine that it's sort of an interesting balance to walk of, you know, I mean, on one hand having your partner there for just support and helping with everything, you know, it's easy to understand how that makes a big difference in a good way. But I can also imagine it being kind of a little bit of a delicate balance to walk in some ways of, kind of you know he's working as your mechanic in a sense and sort of having this like combined personal and pseudo-professional relationship at the same time and sort of <laughs> living in a van for four months probably isn't always yeah. the easiest too and kind of juggling all of those different things did that all go pretty easily or was there kind of anything that you had to sort out there
1: surprisingly and like I bet like all, all I mates like well not all I mates but a couple of people were like have you guys not killed each other yet? Like, you're literally living in each other's pockets. Like, because normally at home, like, yeah. yeah, we'll see each other, like, most of the week, but he will go away working, building trails and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a lot different, like four months straight, literally with each other every single day. There was only one day, actually, where he went to Chatel to film and edit, and I was riding at Moorsey, and that was the only day that we had a part, basically. Um, and we honestly loved it. Like, uh, it was just so awesome so we um you know it could probably make or break a couple right but for us it was just like we are living the dream like we just like and the key was actually um if I was ever like slightly complaining about anything Duke could be like do you want to be in a tank welding because like at where I used to work you'd have to go inside um like food tanks and weld up cracks and stuff like that and sometimes it could be pretty hot and like pretty hard to weld because there'd be bits of stuff stuck everywhere and whatever but um yeah so just say that to me if I was ever slightly complaining I'd be like yeah you know what we're living the dream like there's no reason to to not be stoked with what we're doing and with each other so yeah we we loved it <laughs> it was so good
0: I like that A little bit of perspective goes a long way sometimes
1: yeah definitely
0: <laughs> not to go too far off into the weeds here but tell us a little bit more about that food tank welding (laughs) what were you doing
1: (laughs) um oh yeah sorry. i um i worked at mars Foods, so um, they're over in america actually yeah um that's where they come from uh so yeah i did my apprenticeship there they have like an apprenticeship program um yeah so i was lucky enough to do that uh for four years and it was an awesome job i loved it and i still love welding and still do it here and there um for a few mates, but um, yeah, some of the jobs, you know, especially in the middle of summer can be pretty hot because you always have to be wearing long pants and long shirt and welding all day long. So yeah, definitely traveling Europe was um, beat that. But yeah, it was awesome learning those skills and um, being able to continue to do that for a bit of bit of money to help fund my traveling and riding addictions.
0: <laughs> That's cool. How did you come into welding as a trade
1: um so my uh coach tim butler he contracted to them as he's a plumber um and he just messaged me i was at school actually and said oh do you want an apprenticeship and at first i was like not really but then he talked me into it and i I went in and had a look and my parents like oh yeah it looks pretty cool actually um so yeah that's literally how i just got to do it for two weeks for, just to basically test it out to see if I enjoyed it and let's be honest I'll probably just start, like sussing out if I could actually do it because I had no experience so I, I wouldn't blame them if they they wanted to suss that out but I loved it like literally the first day I got to Tig World straight away and I was so fascin- fascinated by it it was very similar to like when I started riding mountain bikes I just like was like oh how can I get good at this like this is fun and I just yeah got got sort of addicted to that as well in a way it was
0: really fun that's cool yeah getting up to the point of actually being able to weld well has been on my long-term plan (laughs) list for ages and haven't made much headway on it i theoretically know how to do some TIG, but i'm pretty terrible at it and uh just just practice. need the reps there just more i know as, it's as, just hours. Said, i just
1: it's just the yeah, hours you gotta do it yeah. i know
0: just need to find those hours that's been the <laughs> the problem but yeah uh, yeah someday <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> um
0: well i mean that's been a pretty good rundown and just been super cool kind of following along in that progression and journey of yours and been pleasure having you on the show thanks for taking the time to chat and wishing you all the best for 2023 and beyond so looking forward to following along and just keep on keeping on so thanks again this has been a lot of fun
1: awesome thank you david it's been great
0: (laughs) all right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always i'd like to thank ellie for the conversation taylor ahern for producing the episode and you for listening From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. We'll be back again next week with a very fun, very interesting conversation with the one and only Ed Masters. That one's a blast, so stay tuned for that next week, and take good care. Bye.